0: Welcome to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the movie that launched one of the highest-grossing movie series in film history. I believe it's 10th all-time with billions of dollars in revenue. But uh, before we get into that, uh, we have some news, which is ginormous In the film industry, Uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Walt Disney and 21st Century Fox shareholders on Friday voted in favor of their $71.3 billion deal in which Disney will acquire large parts of Fox, including 20th Century Fox, film and TV studio, Fox's entertainment, cable networks and its international assets. Now, what's not going to Disney is the Fox News stations and the Fox Sports networks. So all of the entertainment properties, new and old. This is also everything that Fox has basically ever released in the entertainment industry. It's not just the current stuff. So they'll have the rights over everything that Fox has in the past. So what that means for us as far as um, movies, at least for me especially, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now complete Yes, we will have X-Men, Fantastic Four, underneath one family umbrella that is the superpower, Disney. Some of you are going to be like, oh man, that stinks. Some of us who are Disney fanatics and just overall uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, who we just absolutely love these movies. uh, This is a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because they can start to reintroduce these characters into one massive universe and storylines you're talking quality of movies you're talking uh writers directors producers that have a really i mean 10 year history since iron man of putting out some pretty darn good movies so i mean i don't see this as a bad thing but i can understand people that do I know that there's a lot of people who are completely against Disney buying up all of these shares in the entertainment industry, but just as somebody that is a fan of movies, I'm cool. I like it. And that's kind of where I draw the line. There's like this, you know, preaching thing where people are like, oh, the monopoly of the entertainment industry, and Disney's just trying to make more money. Well, yeah. Duh. I mean, yeah, they are a, a business, right? Isn't that what they're supposed to do? I mean, I've always said that world domination starts in Florida, and when I mean that, I mean Walt Disney World. So it's <laughs> that's just kind of what I—that's just something that I say down here, just because Disney is insane. And uh, obviously, I know it's Disney is Florida and California and worldwide, but it's just something I say, living so close to Disney World. I'm cool with this uh, as far as a entertainment standpoint, but uh, ethics-wise, building a monopoly in one industry, major industry in the world, yeah, sure. I mean, you can moan about it all you want. You can cry about it. But as a movie fan, especially a Marvel movie fan, I'm good. I'm good. All right, one more thing in the news. I wasn't really going to talk about this because it's kind of a sensitive area with uh, movies. But uh, something just flashed across my Instagram feed from Chris Pratt regarding the firing of James Gunn because of some opinions and jokes that he made years ago on Twitter. Um, It's an open letter from the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I just thought it was really, really well said, and I kind of wanted to read it to you guys real quick. Now, bear with me. It is very small print on my cell phone, which is not one of those ginormous uh, iPhones. It's a smaller iPhone. So I have this really close to my face, and I'm going to read it as quickly as I can to get through it. To our fans and friends. We fully support James Gunn. We are all shocked by his abrupt firing last week and have intentionally waited these 10 days to respond in order to think, pray, listen, and discuss. In that time, we've been encouraged by the outpouring of support from fans and members of the media who wish to see James reinstated as director of Volume 3, as well as discouraged by those so easily duped into believing the many outlandish conspiracy theories surrounding him. Being in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies has been a great honor in each of our lives. We cannot let this moment pass without expressing our love, support, and gratitude for James. We are not here to defend his jokes of many years ago, but rather to share our experience having spent many years together on set making Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. The character he has shown in the wake of his firing is consistent with the man he was every day on set. And his apology, now and from years ago when... First, addressing these remarks, we believe it is from the heart, a heart we all know, trust, and love. In casting each of us to help him tell a story of misfits who find redemption, he changed our lives forever. We believe the theme of redemption has never been more relevant than now. Each of us looks forward to working with our friend James again in the future. His story isn't over, not by a long shot. There is little due process in the court of public opinion. James is likely not the last good person to be put on trial. Given the growing political divide in the country, it's safe to say instances like this will continue, although we hope Americans from across the political spectrum can ease up on the character assassinations and stop weaponizing mob mentality. Oh man, I really like that last line. It is our hope that what has transpired can serve as an example for all of us to realize the enormous responsibility we have to ourselves and to each other regarding the use of our written words when we etch them into digital stone that we as a society may learn from this experience and in the future we'll think twice before we decide what we want to express and in so learning perhaps to harness this capability to help and heal instead of hurting each other thank you to for all taking thank you for taking this time to read our words signed the Guardians of the Galaxy and there's electronic signatures where it says Chris Pratt Zoe Saldana Dave Bautista Karen Gillan Michael Rooker P- Palm Clamentief Sean Gunn, Vin Diesel, and Bradley Cooper. Um, Again, this is uh, Chris Pratt's Instagram account, which is Pratt, 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 just three words straight across. It's already got a quarter of a million likes. Um, It's really well said. I don't want to get into exactly what um, James Gunn is being accused of and what he's been found accused of, because it is, uh, as a father, it 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 is hard to read. But I also understand where, as years go by, people change. And unfortunately, social media is a notebook of your forever sins and your accomplishments. So, and unfortunately, in today's climate, sins outweigh your accomplishments. And uh, he has put out a heartwarming apology and saying that he stands, you know, he stands by his mistakes. He's uh, He's not trying to ask for anyone's forgiveness, and he is sorry for what he said. But uh, I just thought this was really nice of the cast to come out and support their director and writer. And as a moviegoer, I would love to see him back um, because those movies were revolutionary when it came to superhero movies. This is the first time that you really got a glimpse at the humor that these movies could bring out. And we all need a little humor in our lives. So if the cast who come from all walks of life can forgive James, not necessarily condone what he said, but forgive him as a person, then um, maybe we all should too. And the the line to ease up on the character assassinations and stop weaponizing mob mentality. It was just so well written. Uh, I applaud the cast for um, supporting their director and their friend. The Curse of the Black Pearl came out in 2003. Um, ouch. 15 years ago is when the first Pirates of the Caribbean debuted in theaters. So it's kind of cool that it's still going strong or it's gone strong. But 15 years and you're just like, man, I remember seeing it in theaters. I remember seeing it, you know, when the DVD was released. And then Disney did their massive overhaul with the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, I believe, in 2006. So, even that's insane. Twelve years that the, the the ride's been renovated with Pirates of the Caribbean theme, or the movie Pirates of the Caribbean theme, where they just kind of uh, installed characters from the movie into the classic ride. It's uh, it's cool, but like I said, it's also insane that it's been this long. The movie itself is just—I I talked about it on. Uh, previous shows where I was going through on the Jurassic Park show, I believe, where I was going through some of my favorite movie film scores and saying that uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, and Pirates of the Caribbean were three of my favorites. After watching, I've now watched the first three Pirates movies since I decided to record this show. I've watched uh, three of them within the last four days. Every time I hear the score, it's just, this is so cool. It's so fun. You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to sing another film score on my show because my wife heard me do it and she was just like, really, really, Matt? You, you, you just you just sing the tune of Jurassic Park and then the tune of Pirates of the Caribbean? I said, well, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to refresh the audience and Lord knows I'm, you know, no stranger to making myself look like a moron and uh, really not caring if I do it. So yeah, anyways, that's a little about me in general, (laughs) but of course, but we are talking the Black Pearl, not necessarily the whole franchise right now. And in the Black Pearl, we have Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley, Jonathan Price, Jack Davenport, and Kevin McNally. So of course, it's directed by the wonderful Gore Verbinski and the music. It's kind of funny actually how the music came together because if you look on the IMDB page, it says that the composer is Klaus Badelt, and he did do a lot of it within this movie and throughout the franchise, but the actual score producer is the wonderful Hans Zimmer. So you, you're you like, I know Hans Zimmer. Cause I, I, when I have this pop up on my Pandora station, I think it says clause And then on other versions, like another soundtrack or another station, it'll say Hans Zimmer. I don't know if that, if that's right or if that's just something I'm imagining, but I'm pretty sure that's right. So Hans helped with the film score, and then Claus did the rest of the movie. You might recognize his name, Claus's name, but he was one of the uh, music producers that helped Hans Zimmer on Gladiator. And then Claus also went on and did Constantine and Ultraviolet, two very underrated movies, by the way. You can produce a score like that that's memorable forever. And the most memorable of them all, at least in my eyes, is John Williams, or in my ears, is John Williams you, Hans Zimmer's not too far behind when you really do look at the catalogs. And then Claus Badlet is um, Badelt. Jeez, I'll never get that name right. Claus. We'll just call him Claus from now on. But, you know, back to the cast. They were wonderful. Uh, Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. And I say Captain Jack Sparrow because that's kind of the joke throughout the movie is that he's a captain without a ship. Um, And he, you know, they say, oh, Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain. I don't I don't see a ship, you know, it's just kind of some of the uh, humor in this, but uh, he actually funny enough, wasn't um, even the first consideration for Jack Sparrow. I was like really kind of shocked how that happens. But I think that we've learned when going through these movies that it's very rare that the first actor wanted actually accepts the role. And then they fall into another wonderful actor. Indiana Jones is a perfect example Alan Grant in Jurassic Park is another one. It, it, it just, there's these other actors that get kind of thrown into it. And you're just like, man, they fell into a great situation. And Robert De Niro was in mind to play. Uh, that's, that's weird. But anyways, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, uh, Jack Sparrow was actually um, more or less named after Hugh Jackman because they really wanted him to play the role. I love Hugh Jackman. Everything he does is phenomenal, but Johnny Depp is so lovably weird in this movie. It's he's just perfect for it and I know at the time they wanted a big headlining actor to be the star of this movie hence why they were going after some other guys now Hugh Jackman isn't necessarily a big headlining actor in 2003 but I mean Robert De Niro was obviously I, I mean Johnny just knocked it out of the park it, he was perfect for it. And I know with Will Turner, uh, one of the main reasons he was hired on, or with Will Turner, was the main reasons that Orlando Bloom was hired on was, I believe this was the same time that The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings The Two Towers was coming out, and he had blown up in popularity. So they figured, hey, you know, English, he's uh, a good actor, he had uh, uh, weapons training already and fight training from the Lord of the Rings movies, and people will automatically recognize him. And then... In the theaters with The Two Towers is when Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, the trailer debuted. So you're already linking Orlando Bloom to Orlando Bloom, and the audience was already connecting with this movie. A a little side note with this movie, it was actually just called Pirates of the Caribbean originally. It wasn't called Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, That wasn't the subheader for it. The reason that they added the Curse of the Black Pearl is that the producers were hoping that if it did well, it already set itself up for a franchise. So it was kind of like setting up where, like, we know Indiana Jones. Well, the first movie wasn't called Indiana Jones. It was called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then the subsequent movies were Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and, you know, so it goes and, and, and. So it's kind of one of those things where they set it up ahead of time with the hopes of it becoming a franchise, where they didn't call it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just kind of funny how that happens in the way that the uh, marketing can kind of key in to the certain names of these movies, but I just really, really, really liked this movie. I It was so well done. I mean, you have basically undead pirates that are cursed with uh, Aztec gold. I mean, it's just this wonderful story and this wonderful plot line. And like I said, the actors sold it, the directors, the writers, everybody did such a great job. And as I'm sure everyone is well aware, the Jack Sparrow character physically was modeled after Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. And while that's cool and all, what I thought was even awesomer, better, more awesome, yeah sure we'll go with that, more awesome, was that Keith Richards actually played Jack Sparrow's father in At World's End in Pirates 3. And you see him on stage, or on, on film, on, on screen, and it was just this wonderful moment where you're just you're looking at the two of them going, oh, man, it's because they look identical. It's wonderful. And it's just the little tidbits that Disney had fun with with this movie. It was just uh, added bonus, I guess we could call it, was his was his father being actually Keith Richards in this franchise. It was just so awesome. It was So wonderfully done. Another thing I found interesting was that the script for this movie was actually written in the early 90s, even though this movie wasn't released until 2003. And it was written as more of a comedy than it was an adventure movie, like an action-adventure movie, where there is underlying corny, quirky comedy, but it was actually written as more of a straightforward comedy. Uh, Spielberg wanted to make it back then with uh, either Bill Murray, Steve Martin, or Robin Williams as Jack Sparrow. And like I was saying before with Robert De Niro, wow, what a different movie you would have gotten with Murray, Martin, and Williams. You would have gotten such a different movie. And I don't know if just one of them in general, uh, Robin Williams, if that would have flown because he had already done Hook. And it's like, is Robin Williams really going to do another pirate movie? And it's just, I know it's a different style of movie, but all these guys are so much older too. You know, I mean, especially Bill Murray and Steve Martin. I mean, Robin Williams... I mean it just it's a different style of character. It wouldn't have been, I mean, everyone knows the classic Jack Sparrow look, you know, the deep eye makeup, the bandana, the dreads, the beads in his hair, the little uh, the little goatee, the, the the dual braided goatee. You know, he's just got this uh, this wonderful look. And about that also about that look is later in the Black Pearl when they're fighting in the cave, when uh, Jack Sparrow becomes one of the undead after he steals one of the coins, uh, the lighting, the white lighting and like, and the way it was shot, the cast members, Jack Sparrow in general, would look kind of washed out. They, ju- they just look terrible on film, basically. To build in some contrast, they deepened his makeup and darkened his makeup. That scene being, I think that scene was shot either towards the beginning of production or towards the middle of production. They decided to keep the darker makeup. So I think there's there's scenes where you can see his makeup is darker and lighter depending on where he is. These movies are always shot out of order because of everything shot on location first and then they move around. They don't go back and forth from location to location. They stay at one location, film all the shots that are involved in that location, and then move. So it's it's too expensive to travel that much, and it's it'll wear everyone down. It just doesn't make sense. So it's just kind of funny how they can accidentally fall into a look during production, and then they start using that mistake or that accidental find within the movie itself. And uh, another cool thing is ILM, which is Industrial Light and Magic, who does uh, all the CGI for Disney, they scanned various forms of, jerky to model for the decomposing skin of the pirates like the texture like they actually used like regular beef jerky turkey jerky all that fun stuff and like I've talked about between Raiders of the Lost Ark with the boulder scene and the mummy with the prologue how they hook you uh, the opening scenes of this movie was also wonderful and it was more or less the introduction of Captain Jack Sparrow I just, I I loved where they show him kind of from like the waist up and he's standing at the top of his ship and he's got his spyglass or I think there's a spyglass involved. And now that I've seen all three of them, it's kind of the first one's a little fuzzy. Probably should have rewatched this one again, but you know, anyways, he's standing on the top of the ship, the music's going, then the camera pans out and he's standing in a basically a oversized dinghy with a mast. It was just comical. So you can automatically know that there's going to be some humor and some comedic presentation behind Jack Sparrow even if you didn't know that already, which I'm sure with the trailer you figured that out. And then as he rolls into Port Royal you see (laughs) <laughs> he's still standing on the mast of his ship on the on the bow master i don't know i don't know the terminology between old pirate ships but anyways he's standing at the top of the mast and now he's only about five feet above the water his ship is slowly sinking his boat is slowly sinking and as the boat finally sinks he just steps onto the dock and just keeps walking it's just th- the timing everything was so well done automatically you're like hey, i'm gonna enjoy this this is gonna be a wonderful movie a lot of that is uh, Johnny Depp just kind of ad-libbing as they go. And, and this was definitely one of those movies where there was a lot of ad-lib going on. And I like when the uh, director allows the actors on set to ad-lib a little more because you can get some really cool uh, lines and scenes just with the creative minds of the actors and not necessarily the director and writers like the famous scene uh, line at the end of the movie where he says, bring me that horizon, and he steers the black pearl away, and then he goes, drink up, me hearties, yo-ho, and then the movie ends. Well, the bring me that horizon line was something that Depp came up with, and it was just something where the director was just like, you know, let's let's try to figure out a, a cool way to end this movie or a neat way to end this movie, and they knew they wanted him to sing the classic pirate song, but the bring me that horizon line was all Depp. And there's also a scene where uh, Will Turner, who's Orlando Bloom, is talking to Gibbs, played by the awesome Kevin McNally. He says, like, you know, like, oh, you mean Jack hasn't always been? And he does. He mimics the, like, drunken, quirky body movements and eyes. And, I mean, you know how Jack Sparrow acts. It's hard to explain on radio. But uh, Orlando Bloom went to the director and said, I think it would be funny if I mimicked Sparrow on screen when I was talking about him, and it was funny. The mannerisms, the physical mannerisms, it was a really funny scene. He did, you know, it, it worked. Jack, the undead monkey, after he steals uh, the coin back from Jack Sparrow and gives it to Captain Barbossa, Jack the monkey smiles at the camera. That, was, uh, that wasn't that was planned. They just, they just wanted him to steal the coin and give it back to Barbossa, but then Jack looks at the camera, the monkey Jack, looks at the camera and smiles. It worked out perfectly. Johnny Depp saying savvy a bunch of times ends up being kind of like his impromptu catchphrase throughout the franchise. That was Johnny Depp. He's like, you know, he should probably talk like a pirate a little more. And he, you know, injected that line into or that word into certain scenes. So the freedom that they had on screen, and that's where you can tell when you're really getting a great film, is when it's not just a written shot and released. There's a lot more stuff going on behind the scenes that gets the movie injected with more life and more entertainment. And when you have, like this, the ad-libbing going on, it's just this awesome finish. And like I said, I just can't get enough of these movies, uh, especially the first few of them. And for you um, Disney fans out there, you know what a hidden Mickey is. All around Disney parks, there's things called hidden Mickeys. Um, look it up online. It's the easiest thing I can tell you. Uh, there's actually a hidden Mickey in the movie. And as far as I know, it's one of the only ones that I've heard of as far as a hidden Mickey is concerned in a live action film. When Port Royal is being attacked by the Barbosa led Black Pearl, the last cannon shot, the smoke coming out of the cannon billows into Mickey's head. So, and yes, it actually does that. I looked for it during the movie after I read that and I'm like, Oh, there it is. That is kind of cool. One other thing that was uh, interesting, and I, I guess it doesn't shock me now, but it did at the time. Well, it didn't at the time because it was 2003, but it, it, it shouldn't shock me because the movie's 15 years old. But uh, Keira Knightley was 18 years old when she shot this movie. I mean, that's you just see her and you're like, man, I, I, you just don't you don't really get the sense that she's that young in this movie. Where a lot of actors play younger roles when they're really older. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal is f- famous for that. The Day After Tomorrow, which is a wonderful disaster movie. I'll, I'll probably end up talking about that. That was a really cool movie. Uh, he always plays, like, this high school kid, and he's in his 30s. But Gyllenhaal just has this look about him where he can get away with playing a younger role. A lot of actors do that. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the kid that played Fridge in Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, I just read. I mean, I wish I had the ability to talk about this on that show. He's 30 in real life. The guy that plays the high schooler, Fridge. So it's it's amazing how they can get these older actors to look so young. And uh, movie magic at its best is when you're out in the sun, you can't wear sunglasses, you can't wear proper hats to block the sun, well, what do you do? It was kind of cool how they fixed this problem is they found out that when you're out on the seas like this, especially out on water, not necessarily seas, but we are out on water with these boats and the sun and the glare... The actors were squinting, and they're like, well, squinting actors don't really work on film when they're squinting all the time. So how do you get away with that when you don't really have a way to direct the sun in different directions when you're out in the open like this? All the actors were tinted—not all the actors, but a lot of them wore tinted—contact lenses instead of sunglasses. Depp especially. Kira Knightley wore them. Orlando Bloom, I believe, wore them. A lot of the B actors wore them. It was just a way to get them to not squint so much when they they're fighting the glare. And fighting the sun itself. I just thought that was kind of neat how they came up with something like that to just give us a better movie experience instead of everyone squinting at each other like they uh, they had like a secret to hide and they were like a uh, a manic bad guy with this shifty eyes. But in this case, it was just because the sun was so bright that they needed a way to keep the actors locked on to the scene at all times without having to squint. And before I get out of here, um, of course, we have to talk about the parallels and the crossovers between Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Because, of course, this movie is based on that ride. So there are so many little things in this movie that are actually based and come from the ride. So, I mean, for instance... The yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. I mean, you know, we all know that song. You really, really know it. If you've been on this ride as many times as I have, it's just a classic song within the ride, and it is sang throughout the movie. You also get the classic jail scene where you have the three dogs trying to coax, or the three guys trying to coax the dog to drop the keys. Again, classic scene at the end of the pirate's um, ride. You also get the redhead. We wants the redhead. Well, I mean, real in this time frame, this was before they just changed the redhead within the last year and a half. Uh, the redhead was the the wench that was for sale. Now, Red is a captain, is a pirate captain named Red, is what they're calling her. And she's actually a meet and greet in California, I believe. So, But in this case, you get the redhead who slaps Jack in Tortuga. I just thought that was really cool. And then across from the Pirates ride in Disney World, there is a restaurant called Tortuga Tavern. So it's kind of neat how they, you know, they mesh all this together. The burning town, uh, the pirates chasing the women. You get the macaw, uh, Cotton's macaw. He's the mute. He doesn't speak, but his uh, macaw does. He says, dead men tell no tales. You know, of course, that's also in the ride. The guy with the pigs in the ride is Gibbs from the movie because they have Gibbs sleeping with the pigs as well. And then, of course, you get the man dunked in the well. You get a musician teetering on the barrels. There's so many different little tidbits from the ride that end up in this movie. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. Uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, coming up in the next week, uh, Berserk, which is a Dane Maddock adventure that I co-wrote with the awesome David Wood, uh, USA Today bestselling author David Wood will be re-released through his imprint, Adrenaline Press. Uh, there was a decision by Amazon with their Kindle Worlds franchises, which is how Dave and I were releasing these books. There was uh, three of them that we released together. Uh, Kindle Worlds has closed and shut down, so um, dozens and dozens and dozens, um, probably hundreds of books, have been removed from Zon's site. The gracious David Wood has decided to republish all of the books from myself and his other various co-authors within his own imprint. So he right now is going through edits and revisions of the stories while I am doing the cover art for about 90% of them. So any of the new covers you see coming out were done by moi, including Berserk, and that will be coming out. Dave wants to get it out as, far, as quick as the first. So uh, thank you, Mr. Wood, for allowing that to happen. Um, The other two that were removed that I'm responsible for as well is uh, Skin and Bones and Venom, which are my first two books in the Bones Bone Break adventure series, who is, if you don't know anything about these books, he is Dane Maddox's partner in crime. They are treasure hunters, former Navy SEALs, really fun, adventurous. So, you know, right up my alley. And for those that don't know, uh, Berserk was uh, a number one bestseller, and so was Venom. And Skin and Bones would have been, but uh, we released it along with another competitor, uh, another author's book. Skin and Bones actually sold better than those two, but didn't get a number one ranking because there was another book that sold better. So yeah, kind of funny how that works. But yes, uh, so two of the three were technically number one bestsellers, but uh, all three of them had the sales to say, hey, look at me, number one. So, yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of these books, and I'm really excited. And what's also cool is that they're going to be available in print. So this is the first time that these books will be available in print. Everything will be on Amazon. Everything will be on Barnes & Noble, iBooks. It's going to be worldwide, where before they were exclusive to Amazon. So uh, check them out if you haven't read them. Again, the first one coming out is Berserk. It is about the Norse uh, mythology and the Berserker warriors. So if you like that, there's a little... Uh, uh, space age technology involved so kind of cool but uh, again look for it berserk by david wood and matt james and uh thanks for listening and have a good one